I flew with the eagles until I fell from the nest. I ran with the wolves, then got lost from the pack. Slowly, I go crazy every day. Some days run faster than others. I never strayed into heaven. It was hard getting past hell. I traveled through and beyond the death and birth of man. I am Ikatomi. Imagine running out of imagine, mistaking authority for power, weaving life's free spirit into patterns of control. I heard all that was said. Until now, I hear nothing at all. The edge between twilight and dark. The great lie lurks. Prostitution of soul. Anyone can do it or not. I went down some roads that stopped me dead in my tracks. I am Ikatomi. I've been the mirror to others reflecting selves. I've known love that can't help, but love and I've been close to that hurting way of love. I flew with the eagles until I fell from the nest. I ran with the wolves, then got lost from the pack. From the earth, wind cave memories, one with the sky, time of different motions, dog days dreamer. Chasing the neon, woven into minds. From my place in line, I fell out of order. I've been here, I've been there, I've been anywhere, and I haven't been anywhere. And I'll be back again. I am Ikatomi. Big up, John Trudell. I flew with the eagles. Details in the description. Namaste, assalamu alaikum, shalom, niha, buenos dias, buenos noches, hesitate, aquaba, welcome in, what up though, this is Convo with Zuri G, I am Zuri G, aka Peter Johansson OCC, and this is the premier Convo, um, with Robert Roca and Robert Roca is a leader here in the Cuyahoga area of the Cuyahoga area extended Northeast Ohio native community for over the past half century he establishes a number of lawsuits uh, against the Cleveland Major League Baseball team to change the name He works and establishes a number of community organizations uh, to advocate and provide services uh, and education um, and social programs for Native brethren here in the Cuyahoga area. He shares uh, some valuable insight regarding the Native experience, um, particularly in urban areas where Um, there is an acute 
experience of marginalization. One thing to consider, I'm getting ready to listen to the convo again uh, after having it a couple weeks ago. One thing to consider in this is is the guardedness um, that rightfully so Native brethren have when talking with the public. Um, some Native communities and Native nations refuse uh, talking and, and sharing things in an open way just because of the atrocities um, and the continuing abuses uh, that are committed against Native communities. Uh, and so sharing anything uh, is, 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 is often um, very difficult uh, and, and, and approached with a great deal of suspicion. So when something is shared, it's a matter of rec- recognizing that, respecting that, and even treasuring that. Um, so that being said, uh, I remember this convo is extended. It is long. Um, and uh, Elder Brother Robert provides a considerable amount of patience um, in my uh, continuation of the convo. But uh, and also me talking a lot further than probably I should. But I'm getting acclimated to this. So anyways, uh, this is the intro to the convo. Um and uh, I'm going to let it speak for itself. I'm also going to see if I can find a, um, an image that went viral a couple years ago. One of the things also that, that he organizes through the years, in addition with additional uh, Native uh, advocacy, advocacy groups here in the Cuyahoga area, is a demonstration um, uh, that promotes uh, the interests of Native brethren uh, during opening day of uh, the baseball team. Um, and a few years ago, there was a, a photograph that went viral. I actually remember being there uh, in, the, in the scene uh, taking place uh, where he's talking with uh, another uh, brother who ha- who's dressed up in uh, the, uh, re- the uh, false regalia. Uh, and there's a, there's just a, like a they're having a, a conversation, uh, but the photograph just shows the two faces and one being uh, in in garb and comical, and then another one being uh, the authentic Native brethren. Uh, and so that stark contrast speaks for itself. Um, and uh, since then, uh, there is there are measures taken for the uh, the uh, the logo to be changed and, and removed from uh, the field and from jerseys. Uh, there's still considerable work to be done, um, and that's the continuing combo. So uh, with that said, uh, I'm going to sit and listen to this joint um, and uh, share a wrap-up uh, towards the end. One love and peace. case here in uh, Oberlin, uh, and that's in the college, one of the employees in the food uh, section. Uh-huh. Okay. But everybody else in your household is doing decent, and, and, and the community is doing decent? Uh, you're coming a little uh, muffled. Ah, uh, can you hear me better now? Yeah, yeah. All right. I think my hand was over the mic. All right. So... Uh, I'm just getting set up. Um, so I'll give you again, like a, a brief, uh, uh, like description of what, what this is. Um, as you know, I do interfaith work throughout the years. Um, and, uh, I'm also mixed amidst my Seminole ancestry. I have ancestry from additional lands. And so, uh, that's one of the advocacy things I do as well. Uh, and amidst this, I have conversations with people. Um, of all different types of backgrounds and, and politics and everything else like that. 
and the the purpose of this is is uh, cooperation, like building understanding, uh, building better respect for each other, and through that respect, being able to cooperate with each other better. Uh, and so that's what I've been doing through the years. And um, I've been doing recordings on YouTube for for over a decade, but a lot of those recordings are just me talking. And um, in my in my personal conversations that I have with people, they're like, "Yo, you should do a podcast." So I was like, "Okay." A number of people mentioned this recently, so. I'm kind of transitioning from doing the YouTube uh, exclusively to starting up a podcast and, and and sharing it accordingly, so that it's 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 easier to listen to a combo between two people and and and, and like uh, hear the ideas and the experiences um, and and uh, just vibe with that better than just one person uh, talking dolo style for an hour or whatever. So um, the this is this is one of the first uh, episodes that I'm recording. And uh, I, like I mentioned before, I wanted, I wanted, I was intentional in making this one of the first conversations to include, just to kind of set the tone and everything else. Um, in being mixed and mélangé, we don't have borders. We don't have like there are no lines because they're all different types of mixes. Um, and even people who are monoethnic and, and, and quote unquote pure blood or whatever, even then we, we we're all related with each other in a very uh, strong way. Like exactly our parents and additionally come from that background. So. My point is that amidst this, amidst this melange, we also, one of our strong protocols is respect for the native of the land, the native people of the land, and recognizing that as melange people, we are always going to have a certain element of foreignness. We're always going to be different from the people who are indigenous to the land. And because of that, we are legitimate, but we also have to give due respect and deference to the native people who are from that land, wherever wherever on earth that is. Uh, and so that's one, that's particularly one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you uh, as one of the beginning uh, conversations of this podcast, again, just kind of like set the tone and and establish a pl- platform uh, for the for the continuing conversations to be established. Okay, sounds good. All right, cool. So, um, to give you an idea, like what what the basic format is that I'm working with, um, like in the beginning, I, I just give like the the uh, give you an opportunity, invite you to talk about your ancestors um, and and your heritage. Uh, and and get into um, uh, uh, what what you consider to be the 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 um, the, the priority uh, topics or whatever you want to share, and then get into that list of five uh, that I mentioned. Um, in, in this particular sense, the five lessons to learn from Geronimo, um, and then kind of closing up the convo with a a, a message to the seventh generation uh, based on our experience. What what is the message that we share from this conversation to the seventh generation um, as we continue on our path? Uh, so that's the basic like set up the format uh, that that we're working with in this in this uh, convo today. Okay. Yeah, sounds, okay. Cool. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm I didn't mention one other thing. Also, one of the things I'm, I'm working to do is uh like give give the audience an idea of like how we meet, like how I know you, and and how we started, like how we arrive at this conversation today. Uh, and so you are involved in the native community. You come from Apache ancestry, uh, and you 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 established the Cleveland uh, American Inter- uh, excuse me the Cleveland American Indian Movement, the the Cleveland chapter of the American Indian Movement here in the Cuyahoga area, over going on 50 years ago this year. Um, in addition to the uh, American Indian Education Center of Cleveland, and so you've been doing this for for decades. You've been in the, in the forefront in in changing the name. Of the Cleveland baseball team, um, and we talk about the the class action lawsuit uh, that you start decades ago, 
uh, and that and the, the opening day demonstrations that are done on a yearly basis, uh, and the additional um, programs, the the cultural programs and 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 educational workshops uh, that that you that you organize um, via Cleveland AIM and and, and the American Indian American Indian Education Center through for years and continually. So um, amidst all the challenges and everything else, so that's that's how I know you and uh, I, we meet like over a decade ago at this point. Um, I, I think we were both involved in the out of many one campaign when uh, we were doing the memorial for the 11th of September. And uh, we, we, uh, we were on the same uh, organizing group uh, that put that together. And, uh, and since that, that occasion, I meet you and I meet Sundance and I attend the, uh, the opening day demonstrations. And so I think we kind of build a, a conversation uh, from that experience, and I attend, I, I I go to the center on a number of occasions, and I start going to meetings and and get involved with the American Indian movement here in, in the Cleveland area. So that's what I remember our meeting uh, and and having those conversations and just building, uh, building that, that that cooperation and solidarity for for the past decade or so. Does that sound about right? Yes, yes, it does. Uh, I have been involved with our community for fifty years. Yeah, and. Uh, I started out in 69 with Russell Means. Uh, he had started the First Indian Center at the Episcopal Church um, over there on Church Road, right pretty close to where Detroit Avenue and um, West 25th, um, probably a block away from there. Okay. That was the First Indian Center. Wow. And that's how I met Russ um, there uh, when I first discovered that there was actually one, an Indian community, and two, there was actually a, uh, an organization uh, called the Cleveland American Indian Center. Ah. Um, and that was started by Russell Means. It was also headed by two other people in the method. One was a woman named Mitten Cook, who was the accountant. He actually worked for CEO, Council of Economic Opportunities, and Melvin's brothers was the director. And they were, Mitzi um, and Russ um, spoke with Melvin about the need for services, human services and, our, and social services into our community. And uh, so they funded the first Indian center that was in the basement of the church. Um, from there, it, it slowly grew. I started working there voluntarily and uh, we moved out of there uh, into the first permanent building, and that was at 5500 Lorraine Avenue. Okay. And that was when the first Indian Center took place. It was around that time that the American Indian Movement was just starting. Well, it was started by a couple of people. One was Dennis Banks, and the other person was uh, Clyde Belcourt. Okay. And uh, Clyde was in prison at the time. And Dennis was actually working for a major company, uh, I mean, corporation, uh, I think it was IBM, oh. and, uh, and, and uh, as an executive there. And he had Clyde uh, and a guy named um, Eddie Benton Benet, who now is the tribal leader of the, one of the uh, Anishinaabe Kippawa tribes, is also a college professor, started working together with both in prison. And when they were released to Minneapolis, they chose to work with the community 
meeting a woman named Rose Downwind, and that's Dennis Banks' wife's mother, who named the American Indian Movement. Mm-hmm. So they started to provide a service called the Red Shirts originally, which was designed to help Native Americans get off the streets with the help of the of the group, the organization, before the police would pick them up and either beat them so bad that they died or just, you know, beat them and throw them into tanks until they went to court or until they were released. So they, they actually worked well with the, the police department getting people off the streets, and that's how it first started. Later on, Vernon, who was a, uh, a wig salesman, he sold wigs, and that's Clyde's brother got involved. But he didn't get involved until later, uh, later in the 70s, probably 72. He probably got involved in 75. Russell Means, in the meantime, heard Dennis speak, and uh, Clyde speak at uh, one of their uh, meetings with the community in Minneapolis and chose to join. So from the movement of the first American Indian Center, Cleveland American Indian Center, to 55th and Lorraine, um, he stayed a year or two. And then a woman um, named, uh, let's see, uh, Yellow Eagle, I'm trying to remember her, her the, uh, I remember her first name, um, she became the director of the Indian Center. Mm. And then later, uh, a guy named Jerome Warcloud took the helm, and the community, the center, started to grow quite quite fast with funding and services. We eventually had a second building called Manpower, and that was at 4907 Lorraine Avenue, and I was the um, theater director, Comprehensive Educational Training Act director. Uh, of that group, of that organization, meaning the American Indian Education Center. I mean, I'm sorry, the Cleveland American Indian Center. So that organization continued to thrive up until about the 1980s. 1985, they closed their doors. And Russell, I mean, and um, Jerome Warcloud wrote a letter to the community saying that his job was done and that he, in fact, had provided the services and helped this community get on their feet and no longer needed the services. Well, that wasn't true. But by 1995, the community who I had in 85, when they closed down, I had started my own business. 1985, a group of people headed by a woman named Mary Jane Bookshot came to my place of work and uh, spoke with me about opening up a center again. So that's what I did. I opened another center called the Cleveland American Indian Center. Oh, I'm sorry, the uh, American Indian Education Center. Okay. And that was working with a woman named Candy Christian. Um, we started uh, in various settings uh, because we really didn't have any money. And eventually, uh, 95, we became incorporated. And eventually, we obtained um, a, a permanent place, uh, temporary permanent, at least a place that we didn't, uh, we weren't renting a room. We were actually using an office or renting an office on the corner of West 25th and uh, Lorraine Avenue. It's a huge building, an old building, an old bank building. Hmm. So I continued. Um, Jerome Warcloud, just I kind of got ahead of myself, but Jerome Warcloud 
offered me a job, and I started with the youth, and I started with uh, the uh, CETA program manpower, the paralegal, the assistant director, um, and eventually, by the time Jerome left, I was uh, I became the director after he left. Hmm. So, meanwhile, Russ continued to have, he was still on our board, he was a member at large on our board, up until probably the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. No, no, probably about 96, 97. He was still on our board. So we can t- we started providing programs to, for the community. And one of these days, I'm going to actually use a site to have a listing of all the programs that we had initiated, facilitated, and provided for the community. And tons of pictures. We had our own school bus. We had our own programs. Uh, we had... Uh, we were the, in fact, the only organization in Cleveland that had an oral, uh, home base. We actually had 10 or 11 different organizations working out of their houses, but I'm not really sure what they did. Ours was a social service organization incorporated as a nonprofit providing services. Hmm. So with the American Indian Movement, now that's a different story. I was involved with that in the late 60s with Russ. Um, it finally, I mean, Russell Means took over, his father literally took over Alcatraz a few years or a year or two before there was an actual group that actually took it over. Mm. Um, the American Indian Movement became a product of the Red Shirts from Minneapolis. And again, Russ was not one of the original uh, creators of the organization, but absolutely involved in the beginning. As uh, as was Vernon Belcourt, who passed on. Clyde's still still around, but his health isn't doing so well. Um, the movement has just a rich history. I mean, we I could talk about this for, just with the movement. <laughs> and there and there's many many films movie. and documentaries that 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 share that as well. That that are very awesome and 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 insightful and informative. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot to there's a lot to like to share about that. There is a documentary, is that what you said? I, I'm, there, there are nu- numerous documentaries. I mean, I, I, to one, I'm just thinking about the one about John Trudell um, and, and, and just oh, sharing yeah. his life and additionally. And so when you talk about like the rich right. history and everything, um, I, I mean, I, I kind of smile and be like, yeah, I'll, I, I, exactly. Right. All right. So there's the rich history. Um, later on, it became divided. Bell Courts decided that they were the real Indian aim. And, and became incorporated, I believe, in 95. I don't know how a corporation developed in 1995 could actually be the original aim that started in late 60s. Um, but so there, there's there's some division there. But, I mean, basically the, the goal of the American Indian Movement is to provide services and help the community. Mm-hmm. And whether it's the, the, the Grand Governing Council or the the original AIM movement, which again still exists. I mean, you know, the goal is to provide services and to help out. We're not a social service agency. We do work with Native groups on issues. So one of them in particular was the uh, Chief Wahoo. And that started. And uh, we took that to uh, I mean, uh, Russ, Russell Means took that on in, in the early 70s after he met a, an attorney named Joe Meisner. And Joe Meisner worked for the legal aid department, um, as he has done most of his life, and uh, was able to file the original lawsuit against the Cleveland Indians. 
Um, that took place in 1972. I had published it. I actually put a site on Facebook. It's called Cleveland Native Americans. And in there is strictly documentation on Chief Wahoo. Nothing else. Nothing political. Just facts. The facts of the issue that I've been involved with since day one with the original lawsuit in 72 to the um, four different, either a, a civil filing or a lawsuit um, since uh, up until 2017, which is the last lawsuit I filed. And it's still right now, it's in front of the Supreme Court. So it's still uh, very active, even though the Cleveland Indians had asked us to drop the lawsuit, which we weren't going to and had petitioned the, uh, the courts, the Supreme Court, to dismiss it, which they did not. So it's a very active lawsuit right now. Okay. So um, Cleveland AIM still exists. There's American Indian Movement Autonomous. There's the Cleveland American Indian Movement. I'm the director. That's the original one. Uh, there's the Ohio American Indian Movement. Uh, there's the American Indian Movement of Ohio. Um, so the historical part of it, which I am director of, is the American, Cleveland American Indian Movement. That movement um, really keeps all the documentation, has all the information on Cleveland AIM. And then I head the American Indian Movement of Ohio, which is active, and try to provide services for the community. Okay. So I, I thank you for that for that synopsis and and that that um, that historical description and of the continuing work of Cleveland AIM and and uh, your your advocacy for the Native community for decades. Um, it's it's well established. It's well known um, and it is thorough and and respected. Um, and one of the things that I that I consider in listening to share that again is where that drive comes from because as as we know like they whether it's native brethren or whether it's brethren from another community that's experiencing affliction uh it's one thing to be part of the, part of the community and and be and be aware of what's happening but it's another thing to to like do something about it and do something positive and do something positive day in day out year in year out decade in decade out um and so that comes from someplace that comes from someplace and so uh, it comes from a knowledge of self and, and, and a value of self. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested in knowing where, for you, where does that come from? Like, where, where does that, where does that impetus uh, be, uh, come from to, to start up with the, the uh, American Indian Movement over 50 years ago and, 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 and your involvement with the, with the Cleveland Indian, uh, Cleveland, excuse me, the Cleveland American Indian Center um, over 50 years ago? Where does, where, how did, what was that, where did that come from? What, what was your knowledge of self, your sense of self? To, to bring you to the door to do that? I think there's two reasons. Is, is, um, one was I, I, I was uh, um, uh, lived in many orphanages and institutions um, without parents. I was on my own at 14. Mm. Um, the second part of that is that I had um, became a member or became a member of the community because I was yearning for um, information about who I who I am that was am and, and who um, and found it with the American Indian community I didn't know there was any Native American around and uh, realized that there was such a need for help um, that I 
had no experience in at all. I, I went to college for law enforcement um, and then eventually turning it into social service. Um, I had a business. I had started a business when I was 21 and I was doing really well with it. As a matter of fact, through those businesses, I had five stores. Through those businesses, I funded the center up until probably late 90s, um, early maybe up to 2002. That funding came from from me, from, from the business that I had. that generated quite a bit of, of revenue for myself. Um, and, you know, knowing the need of the community being intricately involved from the day one when in its inception, when the Cleveland American Indian Center started, being involved with the American Indian Movement when it started, and traveling quite a bit to various reservations throughout the country, um, and participating in, in issues concerning, you know, Standing Rock, for example, I was there a couple of times, uh, we had issues in, in, in uh, Canada. In, in uh, Toronto, we had issues in uh, with the American Indian Movement uh, taking over uh, the, uh, the road around 90 in 1999, 1998 rather, um, on a, a reservation that this particular uh, Route 90 went through because George Pataki, Governor George Pataki at the time, felt that Native Americans need to pay taxes on the cigarettes and whatever they sold on the reservation tax-free and gasoline and um, so i've been i've been intricately involved and you know as a part of that a big part of it you see the needs of the community and, and i was in a position because of my drive not because of my experience and not because of my education because of my drive to help people and i continue to do it now awesome and, and, and as you're saying, I'm, I'm thinking like I, I find myself in a, in a similar situation because as, as you might be aware through, through our conversation through the years, my knowledge of, of my seminal ancestry and heritage is, is very modest. And I, and I'm, I continue to learn and to study that uh, amidst the, 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 the resources and access that I have. Um, but the drive is, is very strong. Um, and there's, there's a certain there's a balance between that that drawing from um drawing from the 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 modest amount that we do know about ourselves that we do have about ourselves uh, and recognizing that the alternatives are not right and 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 not not healthy and not not supportive um being increasingly um formidable and and determined to be as much of ourselves as we can be um and and uh progressing accordingly so um anyway I, I'm, I'm a little bit rambling there but um i i'm just saying that i, I identify with that experience and um uh and i appreciate you you sharing that so when when you when you started your um your studies and and like discovering about your native ancestry um what were some of the the first things um that 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 that, that uh stand out um in, in your recollection in terms of progressing you along your path you know, it was interesting because um, not knowing about Native Americans, knowing my nation and, and knowing a little bit about it, but not really knowing um, and and becoming a part of the Native community in Cleveland. At that time, that was a big part of relocation, the government's efforts to assimilate us mm. and to get us off the reservation. The reservations hold 28% of all the natural resources 
in the United States, and the government, of course, wants it. Um, so by encouraging Native Americans uh, to, to relocate um, their lives, it was a one-way ticket. I mean, they were stranded when they got here. Um, that I learned, you know, the many, many different nations. At the time, I think there were 45 different nations or tribes here, very diverse, you know, sovereign nations with their own traditions, their own culture, their own language, um, their own spirituality. It was just so interesting to learn about them uh, through them. So the, the center at that time uh, had potlucks every every month, every week rather. We got to know a lot of people in the community. I went out directly as a, a field worker would would go to the homes and you know um, for needs that they may have that we could provide. I worked with Title Four. Title Four was Indian Education, um, and so the city of Cleveland took it. Board of Education took the monies, and of course they never did anything with it after that. Um, the uh, program, which still is in existence right now, is called the Indian Child Welfare Act. And in 1978, this program came out um, to protect our children from being forcefully removed from the reservations, forcefully taken from their homes uh, and assimilated. Um, so I had many opportunities in Port Florida and Powell's and of course that's diverse right there i mean there's so many different nations that go there i mean uh, it's just it's so interesting to to learn so it was a i learned quite a bit um about my identity identity although we only had a few families here in cleveland that were apache okay. um it was mostly the predominant tribes were navajo um sioux Zenecas, mm. uh Choctaw. Those were the predominant tribes, and then there were, of course, many, many other tribes. So they were taking people from the west, the east, the south, um, and, and, of course, New York area, especially um, the iron workers, uh, to, to uh, relocate them. So that was, uh, you know, I look back, and it was just, you know, on nonstop education of the various tribes and the people and the reservation mentality and, and people coming in here and living in an urban setting, which is totally, completely new to them. A lot of people that came up here didn't speak English. They only spoke their tribal languages. They didn't understand. They didn't know what the system was, let, let alone understand it. Um, and again, because the government made a point of, of, um, of this one-way ticket, they were pretty much stranded here. And when Russell Means started the first Indian Center, the real goal at that time was getting people back home that mm. were dying in the streets that were actually stranded here. Mm. And because there wasn't any funding, any funding at all to get them back, that was a priority. That was, I remember that when that first happened. I mean, that was one of our goals from day one. So a lot of people went back. So, you, I mean, that's an interesting juxtaposition that you're describing because you're you're talking about like dealing with some some tenacious situations at that moment. Like when you're talking about brothers dying on the streets, being dislocated, um, un, being without employment, uh, not being able to communicate in the language. Uh, so those are like immediate, like you said, social service, like uh, hectic situation. But simultaneously, you're also on that on that path of, of learning of, of discovering oneself one's ancestry one's roots um, where, where that there, it's, it's, 
that I mean it's it's a similar thing or it's 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 a it's a, it's a join thing, but it's also a distinct thing because when you're talking about putting food on the table, giving shelter for people, um, that's that's like a um, that's serving the needs at at that in the immediate um, urgent needs at that moment. And when we talk about education, that's something like to have that when we're when in a tranquil environment that we can like sit and like absorb and 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 feel safe and secure and comfortable to be able to like um genuinely take in the information uh and, and what and the teachings that are being shared with us um and so you're talking about being in a situation of doing both uh simultaneously and actually feeding and the two feeding off of each other you know it's interesting it was even when i worked at the indian center i still i wasn't i made very little money mm. working for the indian center and i continued to run my businesses to run the stores that i had i, had, I think i had 37 people at the time wow. to and then to work um 10 hours sometimes but i had that flexibility with the indian center hmm. so it was it was really uh it was it was great it was a wonderful life i i, I have no regrets on any part of it but it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. I'd do it again in a heartbeat as far as the work was concerned because I loved working with our people and working in the community. Yeah. Um, but definitely hard work. I couldn't keep up the pace that I kept then. <laughs> so. Well, that's what, what being in a community is about so that it can be shared accordingly and, and additional people can take on the responsibility and the reins and, and, and keep it going accordingly. So it's, it's difficult to kind of... Um, Fill the sh fill the 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 footwear of a of a like a a leader and and like a um um a, a somebody who doesn't necessarily do it by the book somebody who who like has some kind of innate kind of leadership quality um that's difficult to teach or instill I mean you can you can share it and additionally but uh, it's not like a textbook kind of formula of like do this and then you'll have this so it's difficult to to like to like fill that person's uh, example in 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 and what they share, but simultaneously, um, in in that experience of community, we we do learn and we do we do um, we do teach and we do adjust and 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 continue the legacy uh, as best as we we each respectively and collectively can. And so, um, obviously, conditions change, and so. Um, sometimes the pressing issues might, might, might change as well. And so what we're, the nature of our service and how we engage in the community might, 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 uh, adjust accordingly, but, uh, the basics are, are constant. And, and, uh, when you talk about education, we talk about making sure that families are being fed, that, that families have shelter, um, having the potlucks, um, having the, 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 the regular, um, gatherings where, where the community gathers together, breaks bread. Uh, and, and, and is able to, to commune and, and share customs. I mean, that's that's the strength that, that addresses all the other situations uh, that we encounter. So um, one, one of the questions I had along those lines is that um, when, you were in, when you're in that situation uh, back some 40, 50 years ago, um, and, and you're, you're starting to learn and... and uh, and you're connecting with other brethren who, who are in similar experiences coming from different tribes, uh, different uh, nations. Um, what, 
what is what does what does uh, Russell Means teach you? Like at the beginning, what are some of the things that he says to you that that kind of light you up to kind of to to get increasingly involved? It was interesting because I, you know, again I knew Russ from '69, uh, and we used to when he when he when he finally moved out and he'd come back into town and he'd stay with me. Um, we would we would stay up all night talking, <laughs> literally yeah. all night talking. Yeah. Uh, same with Dennis Banks. We'd just stay up all night talking. Um, I learned so much because Russ was. And uh, he was more of an urban Indian than he was a reservation Indian. He's wow. an Oglala, he's from Pine Ridge. Okay. And he was a part of the relocation, and he moved to California. Uh, he came up here with his family uh, to Cleveland, which uh, was run by a guy named Thomas, who was the BIA director here. And it, their goal was never to spend money on Native Americans with the budget that they had, so the housing was terrible. The opportunities weren't there because they didn't do anything for them. Um, the, the people that came here were unskilled. They didn't speak English. There weren't any programs until Comprehensive Educational Training Act. CETA came in, and that was in the 70s. They were not prepared for Native Americans here. They just wanted to get them off the reservation. Mm. So I learned a lot from Russ on what he did and how he handled you know, and he handled Thompson, Thomas, uh, you know, and, and, and what he was, because he was living in these ghetto areas, realizing the, uh, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay, realizing, you know, what, uh, what, the, what was happening to his people and how they were being treated. I mean, he was an integral part of that. And that's when I saw his drive in Hawaii. I mean, I, I, I learned from him. I learned a lot from him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most, the one thing I can remember is I was with Russ and uh, we were at the Kennedy Building in Washington, D.C. and uh, standing in the lobby talking. And I remember um, some uh, young men were standing there talking and it, it, it appeared to be Native American, American Indian language. Mm-hmm. And I looked at Russ and I go, who are those people? Because they looked African American to me. Uh-huh. He goes, "Oh, those are, those are freemen." I go, "What are freemen?" And he, I never knew that. I never knew about freemen. Uh-huh. And he told me, you know, he educated me. And um, of course so, what, what are freemen? What are freemen? For those freemen. who don't know, Pardon me? who who are freemen? For those who don't know, freemen are are, you know, the Boy, I'll tell you, the freemen are, are African Americans and Native Americans. Hmm. And the reason I said boy, because there's so many different <laughs> things. That, I don't mean boy in the derogatory sense. No, no, no. When I'm thinking about it, boy, there's so much there to talk about. Yeah. That uh, they were descendants of the slaves that, that ran from slavery, and, and they became a part of the uh, nations, the great nations, the Seminoles. Mm. Living up there with the Seminole Indians, they were the Seminoles took them to to Mexico to get them out of to get them get them to safety. Mm. The the Indians up here, Seneca took the, the slaves to Canada for freedom, safety, and a lot of these uh, African Americans became an integral part of the tribes or of the nations, and those people um, became native. I mean, they were. 
originally not natives because they were African Americans, but their descendants, their children are. Mm. And those children became an integral part of it. And their children spoke the language and they absorbed and they were part of the culture. They were the culture. And the reason I get upset when I think about it is because the last 10 years, some of these tribes have been trying to uh, remove them from tribal roles, tribal role way of identifying yeah. who's Native American and who isn't. And by removing of them, removing them from those tribal roles, they get more money and dividends from the casinos. So mm-hmm. the the uh, uh, investments that they made, whether it's in the private sector or in their own casinos or gambling, like the original uh, the start of gambling actually originated in Florida. And that was with the Seminole tribe with their big bingo places. Mm. <laughs> they, they progressed into the casinos, but they couldn't even get seed money in the United States. I believe they got it from either China or Japan to get that seed money to start get that investment mm. and to start that, that uh, business opportunity. So the, the um, <clears throat> freedmen were... Um, receiving dividends just like anybody else is because their children again um, are our descendants you know they are native american <clears throat> we still have and a lot of people don't know about freedmen and it just kind of amazes me yeah so, so when- uh yeah i did learn i just learned so much about the politics and russ wrote a book it's called <clears throat> where white men here to tread mm. and uh it's a really down-to-earth book, and some people and may not like it, and some people may. And on the same, on the other side of it, I found a book in the fiction section, uh, written by the former, a former FBI agent. It's called the American Indian Mafia, and uh, in reference to the American Indian movement. Mm. So it might give you some reading for people. This guy was, this book was written, I'm trying to remember his name, um, that wrote this book. I tried to get equal time when he spoke at one of the universities in New York, um, Trimbach, Joseph Trimbach, mm-hmm. called the American Indian Mafia. And that's his take on the American Indian movement. So again, it really belongs in the fiction section, but that's another, yeah. something else to read about. Yeah, I mean, and that's that, that's part of the long the long historic criticism uh, since since the seventies. We mentioned Pine Ridge, and additionally, so we know we know the 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 COINTELPRO and COINTEL uh, protocols, and so uh, that's 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 to be understood accordingly. Um, but I think what's one of the things that's helpful uh, and resilient uh, uh, beyond that is when we share our stories. Um, when we when we talk about Seminole and Muskogee. I think about Osceola uh, himself being of mixed ancestry. Um, and when we talk about uh, Apache, obviously, like we mentioned before, there's Geronimo and additional elders and, and, and ancestors. Um, we talk about Sioux, there's a rich legacy. Um, um, we can talk about Red Elk. We can talk about, excuse me, we can talk about Red Cloud, Black Elk, um, and additionally. And so I find, like, even here in, in the in the, um, in the Cuyahoga area, it's a little bit of an extended geography, but we can talk about Digging the Weeda. Uh, and the law of the great peace that that establishes through Benjamin Franklin the U.S. Constitution, um, and so I find when we when we delve into those stories and we delve into that that rich legacy and and and, and history, 
uh, and heritage, um, we we uh, we share a, an experience, we share a paradigm, we share a continuum um, that is resilient beyond those criticisms, uh, beyond the shade and and the, like the the greed, hatred, and delusion that 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 settlers and mainstream and others want to place upon um, what Native brethren and Native nations are doing, and so. Um, the stories speak for themselves, uh, and they have resonance amongst natives, but also amongst settlers, because the truth is the truth, and and youth, excuse me, people, particularly youth, have a, a, a very strong, keen appreciation and respect for truth, um, and so I find that's that's one of the things that is effective is sharing those stories. Um, so when you talk about Russell Means, when we talk about John Trudell, when we talk about uh, Dennis Banks, and additionally, it's simply a matter of just telling the story and letting the truth speaks for itself. Right, right. You know, and in reference to what I said about the American Indian Mafia by that Chumba, uh, um, the uh, Aquasasini Notes wrote a book as well, except theirs was different. Chumba was there, but it was, he was presenting the federal side, his side of it. Voices from Wounded Knee of 1973, that was written by the uh, Aquasasini Notes, and that, that gives you perspective right there. These, these, this journalist actually stayed there. Um, through this whole thing, uh, through this whole uh, wounded knee experience, and mm -hmm. wrote about it. So that's a really good book to go to, to get to. So you're gonna you compare these two books, and uh, you'll really see um, or learn about what was really happening there, what really happened. Yeah, very interesting. There's always there's always something out there that people aren't really aware of. But anyway, yeah. reading the books. But anyway. So, what were some of the first stories that you that that you remember learning when you started uh, building your 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 uh, your education about your native ancestry? Well, well, about my ancestry, there wasn't much to learn. I I, I met people here. Uh, I met people throughout throughout the United States about Apaches. The, okay. the people that lived here that were Apache didn't, even though they were from the reservation. Um, they were clearly were not Chiricahua. They were um, White Mountain and San Carlos. Now San Carlos was actually the the original place for the internment of Geronimo's people. Mm. So when they started relocating us in the 1880s, 1884, um, but prior to that, but after that, our land was given to the White Mountain Cherokee Apaches. I mean Cherokees. Chiricahua, our land was given to the White Mountain Apaches in punishment for leaving the reservation. Geronimo left three, three times, um, uh, and, and it took 8,000 troops, 5,000 U.S. troops and 3,000 Mexican troops to, to literally capture him, but he gave himself up. They didn't even capture him. Yeah. In this punishment, um, he, uh, we lost our land. That land was given to White Mountain. Uh -huh. um, and what changed is that although you have Chiricahuas from Arizona, which you might be more from, you have Chiricahuas from Oklahoma. Oklahoma was an eagle. Right now it has 38 different nations there, and that was the goal across the Mississippi. to put us in our own Indian country. Well, it never worked out that way. But that's where the Trail of Tears took place, the Navajos, the Choctaws, the Cherokee. That's where they put them. That's where they made them want to. Hmm. So that um, they now have a Chiricahua um, Apache tribe there, and that's a part of the so the, the soldiers that were 
when when Geronimo was captured, supposedly captured, they they uh, took him to St. Augustine and other places in Alabama, and they finally ended up taking him to Fort Sills, where he died in 1909. Hmm. Um, those people that went with him, those were scouts, U.S. military scouts that aided in his capture. <laughs> so anybody that was Apache yeah. was also arrested and interned. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that something? Exactly. Something. They're buried. They're buried with him in the in the at the cemetery. I've been there. The cemetery's Geronimo's grave is is completely covered with boulders and concrete because uh, George Bush's father, a member of the Skull and Bone Society, had the audacity to steal steal Geronimo's skull. It's right there at the Skull and Bone Society. If you look it up in Google, there's a lot of documentation of that, and they refuse to give it back. Wow. They have a skull. So that, with that being said, I wonder whether you might, for those who have yet to know about Geronimo, maybe not even hear about Geronimo before. Particularly, like I'm, I'm, I, part of my brethren and network is people internationally in China, in Japan, uh, in Senegal, who are very oblivious to things in on this land. And so, for those who who have never heard of Geronimo before, I was wondering whether you might just kind of give us a a a, a synopsis of his of his. Uh, story um and and uh his legacy okay um they really haven't pinpoint when he was born um anywhere from 1820 to 1829 most people believe it was around 1829 and he was really not very well known geronimo was never a chief he was a war chief he was a spokesperson for the chief i think his chief stuttered a lot, so he actually was the spokesperson, but he's a war chief. Um, and he became very active uh, fighting against the Mexicans when they had, uh, he went out hunting with his, with a group of native, a group of, of Apaches. When he came back, he found his encampment was destroyed, his children and his wife, and all the men, women, and children that were there were murdered by the Mexicans. He just completely lost it and had been literally at war with them. Um, once the U.S. started coming in and they started um, absorbing them, a lot of Mexican land, Texas and um, California, um, and then the wars went to Mexican Apache, from Mexican Apache to uh, Apache Americans. Hmm. Um, so he continued to fight, but he had lost his whole family. He had just pretty much given up. Um, he was considered a spiritualist. He was not considered chief. He was considered a warrior. Um, and his, he, he was just a, an exceptional warrior that I think the U.S., matter of fact, when they, when they went in there and took them in the Latin, I think they called it the Geronimo. Uh, they always have these code names. Yeah. I think it was named after Geronimo. He was a fierce warrior, never backed down, and uh, he was uh, he pretty much controlled that area for a long time until they caught him uh, by around 1876. Um, they put him on reservations. Uh, he would leave. Uh, when they finally did catch him the last time, that's when they took him to. Uh, St. Augustine in Florida. Um, he died 
I think he was interned for 23 years before he died. He died in um, 1909, but it's interesting how he passed on. He was, he was given the rights to uh, to make bows and arrows and little artifacts that he would sell to see people in Port Sills and the surrounding areas, and he would buy his liquor and his whiskey as well. Made out of cactus juice, mm. and uh, he uh, he was coming back, and he fell off the wagon. He had a wagon. He would ride back and forth, and he fell off this wagon, and the horse kept going, and he ended up freezing. Mm. And they found him the next day. He was still alive, but he was he was frozen, and he died a few days later at Port Sill. Mm. So, I mean, he was. Pretty well known. He took part in the Roosevelt's parade, the inauguration parade, in a, so many different places. Uh, you know, displayed, I guess, as, as Geronimo, the Apache Terror, the Tiger of the Human Race. Um, so he was really a celebrity, and he kept asking for his freedom. Uh, and finally, by I think 1913, they gave him his, the Cherokee Apaches their freedom. We never got our land back, but they gave his freedom and his family freedom. But, but again, a lot of people, most of us died. Most of the uh, Cherokee died in the internment from uh, um, the, the white man's diseases, mm. and um, that's pretty much killed most of us. When they caught it, he only had 13 warriors with him and a small band of, of women and children. Uh, when he set out, when he last last the left last reservation, I think he had at least, at least over forty of them with him. But uh, yeah, he was uh, a worshiper of Usman, um God, and uh, he became a Christian while he was interned. Um, but he was just an exceptional person. He was only four foot eleven. His name is Galate. Which means heat we odds. Four foot eleven, that's one bad dude though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um now it's interesting because I'm a peace dude and I'm a radical peace dude. Uh but I also am a, a practical dude and I'm and I recognize yo, there's static in this universe and so we have to we have to protect ourselves accordingly. Uh and so I always do my best to like glean the lessons, the wisdom that is shared from all types of people, regardless of what I think or whether that, how much I agree with them, to understand like the truth that they share um, and, and, and how I can apply that in my walk. Uh, and so when, when we talk about Geronimo being, this, uh, being celebrated as a warrior, a warrior chief, um, I think to myself, oh, well, how, can, how much can I listen? But again, it's a matter of study, understand. And so um, there's, some, there's some takeaways. There's some, like, there's some prominent lessons that I think are very, um, obviously very beneficial and very um, important to, to, to study and to learn um, through Geronimo's example. Um, and so I wonder what, what are some for you, like what, what are, what, are, what, what is one, one lesson that you, that you, uh, that you consider, I, I mentioned before the notion of having five, but I wonder if we can just start with one um, that you, you take from, from Geronimo's example uh, and, and the legacy that he provides us. Never give up. <laughs> okay. You know, here's a formable individual, four foot eleven, that was the fiercest of all warriors that gained the respect for his own people and the non Indians. 
Yeah. You know, it's just, I, I compare it to the, the Buffalo Soldiers, the Buffalo Soldiers, the, I, I think it was the Italians, the 7th and the 9th, was established to murder Apaches. Their, their whole, the whole design was to hunt Apaches. Mm. And uh, Native Americans, the Apaches, named them um, this, this battalion, the Petri, Buffalo Soldiers, in honor of the Buffalo because their hair on top of their head was similar to the hair on the bottom of the buffaloes by the legs there. Mm. And they called them Buffalo Soldiers. They were honoring them. And I always think about that, uh, this honor that was bestowed to this, these people that wanted to be free. Um, they earned their freedom as Buffalo Soldiers. Interesting. And they were reformable as well. So he never gave up. Geronimo never gave up. Um, and it's, uh, I always, I, I used to jump. I used to skydive. And I, I, every time I jumped out of the plane, I never yelled Geronimo. I yelled something else. Okay. But I always thought of it. Yeah. I always thought of it. <laughs> okay. So I'll share I'll share my number five that I the lesson that I that I think about and and this is not like a definitive thing it's just at the moment this is what I'm thinking of, but one of one of the lessons that I that I draw from from John and to be honest I've, I I knew I know a modest amount about him for for years but then in preparation for this combo I read some of his um the book uh, that he writes towards uh, when when he's uh, interned in the uh, um I think it was in Oklahoma uh, or, or thereabouts but um. So one of the one of the lessons that I glean is the power of vision, um, and so one of the things that I described about him is how, like you say, he's not a, he's not a chief, uh, and and a lot I think a lot of people to think about how much uh, Geronimo is well known today and and celebrated today, a lot of people would make the presumption of him being a chief because usually that type of uh, recognition is reserved for somebody who's in the official position of leadership, but he attains his leadership and his 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 legacy through what he does as an individual. Um, uh-oh, I'm getting a, a prompt saying we're, we're reaching the, the time limit for recording. So I might have to stop and, and, and record again. Um, I'm gonna see if I can do that. If, if, if you, if you okay. would, hold on. So if you would stay on the line, I'm just gonna see if I can stop and record again. Okay. All right, I, I just started a recording again. Uh, so like I said, this is new to me, but it's, it's comparatively simple. Um, so I was mentioning the power of vision. Um, so he he he's he emerges as not a, a, an established in an established uh, recognized position of authority. And like you said, he he uh, he returns that day. His 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 family is killed, murdered, um, and he becomes uh, he 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 goes off. Um, and but that's not that that's not all he does though. Um, I mean, he he has he has his reputation for being on the on the battlefield, but also as as the as the legend shares, he he was known for like sharing his vision of like being able to tell about things that happened in other places, um, and and telling about things that that are happening in the future. And additionally, but um, it's through the the aggregate of these things that people had that confidence in him and and a trust in him, um, and uh, and it's the consideration of how much. Uh, the, the the notion of uh, awareness um, and um, again the vision um, instills confidence and trust uh, and solidarity and loyalty uh, within others um, and so 
that's that's one of the things one of the one of the lessons that I that I gleaned from from uh, Geronimo's example. Right, and I believe that he had a it wasn't a, it might have been his sister Lothan, but also she was able to see into the future ah. and was able to plan their um, battles accordingly. Uh-huh. Um, and and was noted for it. Um, yeah, so they were both um, very capable of, of seeing the future. Yeah. So, uh, is there another lesson that that you that you uh, can share that that you draw from Geronimo's example? Are there, uh, can you repeat that? Is there another lesson, like another thing that you that you that, that you appreciate or that you that you glean? From from Geronimo's legacy. More so as as a warrior, okay. and and as I said before, never give up. But he uh, he was a he was always a family man. Everything uh. centered around the family. They took their children and their their wives, their wives with them. Um, they were always family oriented. They were that was a, that was the, the core. Of their, their their existence, yeah, and it, of course you don't find it anymore now. But I mean, the natives you do. The natives are, are are still, especially the ones that are living on the reservation, are very much about family. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's actually you. You pretty much uh, addressed like my number four and num- my number three. So my number four is the fearlessness. When you talk about never surrender, I think about. Um, when I hear when I when I hear the stories about Geronimo, um, I think about like the imagery of him uh, charging on on his horse towards the 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 uh, um, the, uh, the military people uh, shooting at him uh, and and just coming full steam and, and going straight towards towards the lines um, and again just just being outside of one. Outside of one's mind might be a little bit of a strong uh, 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 description, but it takes that type of like fearlessness and like like whatever. Here it is, I'm coming. And and um, when I think about that, a um, couple of things. One, um, I think of like how can somebody do that? Like what what? How can somebody just charge against this line of people who are shooting in a, in at one at oneself? And I think to myself when I when I like see myself in that position or when I when I when I think about the, the conditions, this is what I think about because there are lessons in, about this. It's not just a matter of somebody being crazy and going in like there's there's a there's a rationale behind it that he that he might have that he, he might not have, but that we learn from. And so one of the thoughts that I have in that is that when he's charging that line and somebody's firing at him, one, when he's coming like galloping at that at that line, the dude who's firing is going to be increasingly under pressure. Uh, and he's probably getting nervous, and so he's not shooting shooting as straight as he might otherwise do. Because particularly if Geronimo already has a reputation by that point, he knows what's coming at him. Uh, and if he doesn't do the job, then then it's not going to be too pretty for him when when it arrives. So he's got a lot of pressure, and when cats are under pressure, they tend to fold, uh, and so he might not be shooting as straight. Uh, and then I think to myself, well, what about the cats who are next to him? Uh, what would they all be aiming at at him uh, at Geronimo as well? And I'm thinking to myself, well, they're they're under pressure as well, but they also have to to worry about the other cats that are kind of coming at them as well. And so everybody has their target. So 
once Geronimo arrives at the scene, it's like a, a done deal. Because like you say, he, he's known for being a tenacious warrior. Um, and once once he's engaged with one person, it's very difficult for that person's uh, comrades to shoot at Geronimo because Geronimo is in ex exact proximity with the other military dude. So right then, those conditions favor that, that kind of um, uh, close-knit kind of battle warfare style. Um, and so I just think, again, like the mechanics of that. But all that comes from the fearlessness, being willing to gallop right at a, a line of, of military people with rifles shooting in one's direction. Um, and so everything else that comes from that emerges from that fearlessness of being willing to do that um, and, 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 and going at it. So um, that's, that's one of the thoughts that I have about, about when you talk about no surrender and that, like the fearlessness and his reputation as a warrior. Um, that's, that's one of the thoughts that I have um, about that. Geronimo was a ghost shirt dancer. I don't know if you knew about that. And the dancers that wore ghost shirt believed that they could not be shot or killed. Yeah. And Geronimo had been shot 11 times. And he never succumbed to the bullet. It was always, like I said, it was, you know, uh, he lived to, I don't know how old he lived. I forgot. He died in 1909, born in 1829. So he lived a pretty long life. Yeah, he's up there. Years. National life expectancy of Native Americans is pretty low. Yeah. Um, yeah, he did well. The ghost shirts, I mean, they tried to sell one here in Cleveland about 15 years ago. And uh, it's a part of our, our spirituality, of our religion. We were able to stop them from selling it. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of, that kind of, um, it's it's like you said it, it's it's getting into another uh, because when one is in that element one is not like one is a little bit further from is in in the spiritual realm in in, in many ways uh, and and not thinking about like the earthly and in, in addition it's it's like in, in a zone or a trance kind of thing uh, and it reminds me of something uh, that that I learned from my Scandinavian heritage um, uh, called uh, the berserker. I'm, I'm, you probably heard of the word going berserk before, but are you familiar with what a berserker is? No. Uh, okay. No. So for me, to, for me to like describe that first, I have to emphasize I'm a I'm a love and peace guy, and so I refer to myself as a meta berserker. And so a meta meta is a word from India that means like loving kindness, um, and so it it means like compassion and and truth and all that, and so. I refer to myself as a meta berserker, meaning, well, I'll, I'll get to describe what a berserker is. A berserker is someone who comes uh, from uh, Scandinavia, like they said, Sweden, uh, Denmark, additionally, the Vikings. Um, and basically, they were a person, like when they were going to battle, it would be somebody who would like literally lose his mind. Um, and whereas many people might be like methodic in how they, they fight somebody with the, with the sword and everything, the berserker would, would just like go into a trance and like there was no telling what they were going to do. Um, and they would just like cause carnage wherever, 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 whatever was surrounding them. They would just go berserk. And so that's, that's what a berserker is. It's somebody who just kind of, kind of goes off like that. Uh, and so I refer to myself as a meta berserker because I'm in those situations of, of like being, being so nice and so honest and, and loving that, that people literally call me crazy. Um, and, and actually it, it's disarming for people because they don't know how to approach me because they don't think it's true. They don't think it's genuine or whatever else. And meanwhile, like I, I continue to do to do what I do through the truth and through loving kindness. But anyways, that's, that's, that's 
that's my experience of, of berserker. But it just goes again to that that notion of being like in a trans like state of of being other otherly worldly, um, and and uh, to to a point that that very few actually experience it and know what that is and know how to deal with that, um, and it having a certain amount of efficacy um, in in a way that 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 uh, people respect and and people benefit from. So yeah. the the other principle that you mentioned was uh, the the family, and that was actually my number three. Um, when you talk about him being um, um, uh, uh, kept on the on the on the uh, the res uh, on a number of occasions, escaping on occasion, um, there's there's the point where he was uh, on. Uh, I don't want to call it a tour, but he was in transit. Uh, I think it was like you said to to, to Florida, um, and. When he was on the train, uh, he would have like pins on his on his coat vest, um, and and uh, the other the other people who were who were traveling on the train with him would see him and would want to buy his pins from him, um, and so he would sell his pins, um, and then when they would get to the train stop, he would go off and buy additional pins to put on his coat so that he could sell it to the next passengers. Um, but it was like that kind of like pragmatism of like even though he's in these conditions, like he's got to feed his family and, and he's got to worry about. Uh, the pragmatics of, of what he's dealing with, and so um, there's that recognition of of um, um, he has this reputation as as the fierce warrior um, and being able to have a certain efficacy on the battlefield, but simultaneously he's a family man. And after his his that in, his uh, first wife and children are killed, he marries again. He has numerous wives and he has numerous children after that, and and so he 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 works towards providing for them accordingly. Um, you know, it's interesting because I've heard a different story about the trains. Trains okay. were just kind of similar to what they did to the Jewish people. They put these in the, in the boxcars. Right. And they closed it, and the Indians, Apaches, would not eat because they were afraid of being poisoned. Ah. But they were, they did make very frequent stops to display them. But they didn't have the opportunity to leave that train unless they were under guard. Um, and and a lot of them died in route because they it was they just kept going from from uh, point A to point B. Uh, the so I never heard about the pins. Ah, okay. I heard anything about that? And I would I would actually question that. I appreciate um, that. Thank you. Yeah. So then that all right. So I'll, I'll give you my frame of reference of what I what of what I uh, see before what what I'm the information that I get from before. And, and I defer to your knowledge compared to what I, the, the sources that I, that I follow up on. Um, but the additional explanation was that uh, there were a number of times when, when he was in transit because there, was, there were a number of, uh, from what I understand, a number of um, relocations. Um, and in this particular instance, I think he was under guard. Um, and and uh, there was, a, there was a, uh, a military detail that was guarding him because of the of uh, of the mobility concerns, um, and so amidst that, that's when, uh, amid, according to the information that's provided to me, that he um, he had the interaction with with the other uh, settlers who were who were on the train uh, traveling as well, um, and who were who were I guess um, uh, taken by his his uh, uh, presence and his reputation um, to the. Uh, and 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 that and that being where the exchange was, that was one thing. But then there was other where where um, it was I think something similar to like a uh, a black elk um or other or other situation of him being 
involved in a um uh, uh a show. Um and I'm and and if, if this is inaccurate, please please uh provide the accurate information. But um that was another situation of him being under guard um and uh basically being put on display um and, and being uh sold or the, the, the show being sold as look at this fierce um 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 what would it be um uh 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 tribal whatever whatever um and and and, and uh i mean it was obviously as derogatory and everything else but um i can see what's happening okay i i can see that happening exploiting us to make money off of us right the example is using your animal yeah okay all right so that that's that's what i was that's that's the information that i received um and uh i appreciate your your uh your note to the contrary and, and, and it helps to, to, to put things in balance. So I appreciate that. Uh, but either way, is it accurate that when you, when you, as you describe him, him being on the res and having, him having children, him still working and, and having to um, negotiate with the, uh, the settler mechanics in order to provide uh, for his family accordingly. Okay. Does that sound accurate to you? So, so him him being confined to to I don't know if, if res is the accurate word to utilize, but him being um core uh uh um confined to um a, a designated land um and having to utilize um the economic um opportunities or or um um options that 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 were only available through the the uh the settler ways of doing things and utilizing that as a way, a way of feeding his family it was not uh, that was not an economic advantage for apaches no 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 i i i mean economic just basically in, in terms of material i don't, i don't mean that as like a as a business opportunity i'm just saying yeah i have to be careful cuz um I'm trying to I'm trying to be accurate in what I described. Um, wanted us to do that. Right. They wanted to make us farmers. They wanted us to. But we just become farmers for ourselves. But they wanted us to live on a plot of land, not leave it, and make us farmers. We were interned. We weren't allowed to leave those reservations. Right. And um, that's not what Geronimo wanted. As most Native Americans said, it was free all their lives. And we weren't farmers. <laughs> it just didn't happen. Yeah, migratory. Is the Apache pa- Apache are migratory, right? The Apache historically, traditionally, are migratory. Yeah. We controlled all the way from Texas to California. That's how big our nation was. Yeah. We all, we controlled that land. We didn't own it. Nobody owns Mother Earth. Right. Right. So I guess I guess another word better than economic would probably would be subsistence or um, basically there was a certain amount of like you said like um, there was the government provided or or, or government uh, demanded or stipulated or imposed the agrarian uh, form of lifestyle um, and and it wasn't what was the the traditional uh, customs and practices of Apache brethren. Um, and it wasn't what was preferable, but it was what was necessary at that moment in order to to feed the family, to feed the community, 
and, and to answer the, 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 the concerns of that moment. Yeah, you have a different perspective, but I would say yes. Okay. I'm not, <clears throat> I, I want to emphasize, I'm not saying that it was favorable. I'm not saying it's preferable. I'm just saying that re recognizing the conditions as it was and, and, and it, it being the necessary or the, uh, that might be a little bit. Anyways, yeah, I don't want, I'm, obviously I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying, I'm trying to think. That was the plan. Yes, yes that was the plan. Okay. Right or wrong, that was the plan. Yeah. So, you know, aside from letting them be free to to move around and live as we always have in harmony with Mother Nature, they that was the alternative that they saw was the only way to keep control of us. Yeah. And sustain us. Right. So I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Um, like for for example, like. I think about cat heart like uh, militant cats. Um, in my experience, um, these days, like cats are living on the street who are like um, all or nothing type of situation, um, and I, and want to like go against the machine and and and, and take everything on. Um, but the 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 elder uh, who's who's seen things happen and additionally has a, a certain temperate approach or or an increasingly um, um, modulated approach, meaning like. Um, uh, yeah, you can take the system on directly, head on, but what's that going to get you? Um, and and um, meanwhile, for somebody who has a wife and children, that that the person can go out and like take on the next uh, uh, military uh, installment or whatever. But then who's gonna who's gonna be around to 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 feed the wife and children? Uh, and so that's what I was basically speaking of is like the pragmatic answering the pragmatic necessities of that moment amidst um the additional um amidst that that militants um and 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 uh what it what doing what's right so uh, does that make additional amount of sense yeah yeah okay, yeah i don't want to harp on that i was just trying to like articulate myself better than what i did but i'm a, I'll, I'll leave it alone for the moment um and i'll just share the other things i was thinking about so one other lesson that I gleaned from it is you mentioned um, uh, black or excuse me you mentioned um, Geronimo's spiritual path um, and I wonder uh, if you could if you could talk additionally about that what what you understand uh, about his his spiritual path uh, uh, the the native uh, the native customs that he practices when you talk about his his uh, was it his sister that you mentioned. Um, being able to tell the future and making plans accordingly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Battle plans. I mean, he was a he was a, he was a guerrilla fighter. He was a guerrilla warfare. Yeah. Uh, specialist, and the, even the U.S. government still uses a lot of his tactics that he used then. Yeah. And it reminds me of the Seminole fighting uh, a century ago as well. The tactics there. They, they've never lost a war. Yeah. They've never been beaten. The Seminoles and the Sioux. The Sioux never lost a war. The Mohawks never lost a war. With the United States. Yeah. Huh. So, one other thing I'll share is um, when you talk about never give up. That's that's one right. of the one of the top lessons that I that I consider uh, that I that I take from from the the legacy of Geronimo. Uh, is that is that um, 
that notion because I, I, and he's reported. And again, if, if this is inaccurate, I, I, I solicit you to, to provide the correction. But um, when he's asked later in his life um, before he passes about any regrets or additionally, I think one of the things, what actually, no, I don't think it is one of the things that I reported uh, is that he says that he should never have, have surrendered that one time that he did. Um, and so is that, is that accurate? That's correct. Okay. That's why I kept leaving. I mean, he, he tried uh, with Miles. He was a friend of Miles, General Miles. Um, he started to cook once. Uh, he just he just wanted to be free, and he and he tried for the for the sake of his own people. And that's why the one time he took a lot of people with him, men, women, and children. Uh, but uh, for the most part, yeah, he just wanted his his lifestyle the way it was before yeah Back. yeah so one of the lessons that i glean is finding the middle ground the middle ground between no surrender and no revenge and the reason why i say that is because the way um what i'm informed is that when he's when he is um captured by by the u.s uh the southern government uh, and he has the conversation with uh, with uh, Roosevelt. Uh, in addition, when you mentioned him being in the in the in the inauguration procession, um, he has an audience with Roosevelt, and he talks about being released and going returning to the land and um, letting things go. Because, like you said, his initial beef his initial beef with was, was with Mexico, because that's who who killed his family uh, beforehand, uh, and it kind of transitioned to the United States because the United States was was kind of becoming increasingly present in the area, um, and so. After after um, his his uh, capture by the by the settlers, um, he he talks with Roosevelt and and uh, he's like he solicits returning uh, to to uh, to Apache land and Roosevelt basically uh, denies that because he, Roosevelt says that he refers to Geronimo's track record um, and uh, and according to the and, and in all honesty just to be honest about the facts. I mean, as as much as a fierce warrior as Geronimo is, is 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 has a reputation for being, he's also known for being like um, uh, brutal uh, in terms of like killing women and children himself because um, he he had a, a certain vengeance, particularly for Mexicans, and so that that was part of his his mystique and his his um his reputation. If I'm if if that if that's accurate, I want to I want to make sure that's accurate. Absolutely accurate. Okay. Absolutely. All right. So. Um, now that being said, that's one of the reasons why, or, or the, one of the reasons that's cited for, for the refusal of, of him, uh, being re- be able to return, uh, to Apache land was because of that. And so I, I can say, and, and, and we know how the United States government can be, um, in, 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 uh, attacking and, and being brutal itself for no reason. And then even further when it feels it's been slighted or it feels that it's, it's been done wrong. So we know that, and we're not, and, and obviously that there's no right in that. Um, but I think to myself how that how one's own brutality can be utilized against oneself when it when things kind of settle, and and, and additionally, uh, and not just in the terms of, of native and settler, but like anytime there's conflict between any communities, whenever there's a blood feud or, or whenever there's a feud, it's difficult. But when the feud becomes a blood feud, um, then like there's 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 little reasoning with people accordingly because people get uh, the sense of vengeance in their mind and so the lesson that i that i glean from this is the, the that that middle ground between no surrendering and refusing to surrender for whatever and then also not to not to be 
not to impose revenge. And so, yes, we stand for justice. And yes, we, 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 that, that, that includes standing up and, and, and fighting back, but, but also doing it in, 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 a, in an increasingly righteous way so that, uh, we don't become the, the, uh, uh, the boodles ourselves or whatever. So, uh, I wonder what you, what, what, what do you think about that? I know, I know, it's a lot. Um, um, yeah, I, I have to agree with you in, in a lot of areas. He was brutal. Um, he, he had, uh, he had a lot of issues that killed, killed his family. Um, he would never have stopped and maybe Roosevelt was probably right. Uh, he would never have stopped. Um, but he, He's also told them that he just wanted to live back, go back to the old ways that they lived. They lived off the land. Um, they they had a, a relationship with the Creator, and their life was centered around the Creator, Uzza. So, I, I hard to say what he would think, but that's what I I think. Yeah, and and I agree, and and yeah. So my, my, my purpose is, is what we learn from that and, and how we, how we continue. Um, and I was reading the, uh, the, the Cleveland AIM uh, website, uh, the, the purposes of, of the Cleveland AIM. And one of those is, is um, one of the, the objectives and, 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 and statements of purpose is uh, for advocating, promoting, strengthening Native nations and Native sovereignty. Uh, and that includes Native ways on Native land um, and, and that honors um, Native traditions and, and particularly, as you just mentioned, relationship with, with Inamaka, with, with Mother Earth, with the Creator, um, and, and, and in the traditional ways uh, from which we are gleaned, from which we are derived. Um, and so for many people on this land, uh, that seems to be rather uh, preposterous or militant or whatever else. I advocate the, that notion of Native sovereignty and Native tradition. Um, but I also know how it's seen amongst the mainstream. Um, so as a man, um, and, and, and working to, to be married and have a family and do all this up myself, I think to myself in, in looking at the example of Geronimo, how to proceed in a way that's honest, true to myself, to true to my relationship with the creator, true to my relationship with Inamaka and all the, all our relatives of earth. Um, but that's not surrendering, uh, and that doesn't unduly, uh, cave in or, 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 uh, sell out or whatever else. Cause surrender these days looks a lot, a, a little bit different than it, than it looks, I think, uh, a century ago. Um, and so I consider where that balance is. Um, and one of the things that, that enables me to continue going is not having that vengeance because there's so many ways, there's so many things that have been done to me personally, so many things that have been done to the people around me that I know of, um, that, that is very strong cause for retribution. Um, but it's exactly because I abstain from, uh, pursuing that. And I, and I, and I continue to look for like the quote unquote higher road, uh, and, and the, and the increasingly noble thing that I am able to also recognize that we have greater support from the world and the world is looking, the world is, is connected. Um, and the world supports, um, those endeavors that are genuine, um, that are, that are honest, um, uh, and, and, um, 
harmonious. And so um, it's it's through that awareness um, that I'm able to, to myself and, and, and as much as I can with others um, continue to to take on take up the cause of native sovereignty, native land, native traditions and native ways. Um, and uh, in period, full stop. That's it. So I thank I thank you for your journal. So we've been at this for, for a long time now and you're very generous in sharing your time. Um I wonder I, if, if there's anything else that you'd like to share as we as we wrap up the convo um at this moment. Yeah, um I mean there's so many topics that we could talk about. Um it's it's really hard to say what's more important than the other one. Okay. Um the community itself would be another topic. Our community still exists. It's um, decades. I mean, I remember when they first came here, and uh, most of the children now don't even know what nation they're from because I don't ask them what tribe they're from. I ask them what nation they're from, and they don't know much about. I mean, they've assimilated. That was the good. That was the goal of the government. They don't know much about themselves as, or their own people or their tribe or nation. Mm. They don't know much about the spirituality. So, I don't know. We don't have hard to find leaders now. We don't have people that are willing to invest a lifetime, which I did, or am still doing, uh, into the community. Especially our children who are, that's our future. Yeah. Uh, are you able to see? Are you able to see in your mind some glimpse of what the seventh generation looks like? Given what you know um, about this generation and, and the and, and the generation that we find ourselves in now, and the progression, like the the uh, the trajectory, can you can you see a seventh generation? And, and if so, what does that center, seventh generation look like to you? I think in an urban setting, it doesn't. On a reservation, a lot of um, nations are are um, preoccupied with gaming, gambling, mm. uh, as a business. Yeah. And But some of the reservations aren't. The ones that chose not to have that, so you'll find a difference there. Mm. But for the most part, to to, to um, know their culture and their spirituality and their traditions and their language, it's kind of rare. Mm. You're not going to find it. So, um, when, when the natives came here from Cleveland, to Cleveland in the 70s, I remember they were so traditional um, with their family, their core values. With their language, with their their uh, not so much their spirituality, although they did participate in sweat lodges and they did have ceremonies. Um, most of them had become Christians or um, uh, it's not uh, I'm trying to think of the uh, church uh, Mormons mm. because at one time the churches had still do probably had um 
been encouraged by the U.S. government to convert us savages into people. And, uh, and in the process of doing that, especially the Mormons, they also, also saw an opportunity to get Indian land. Indian land is generally owned by Nathan slash the U.S. government. So to have land given to them upon the death or whatever was extremely unusual. The Mormon church has probably the best records on Native Americans. Mm, yeah. They have, you can go to any church and they are connected via the computer and find out about your ancestry. So take, you know, go down there with your name and have them look it up. Another way of finding out who you are is if you know what nation you are is through the Dawes Act, finding the nation, reviewing the tribal roles and tribal names. Um, each tribe, each nation was a part of the Dawes Act, so the records kept of all Native Americans. But the Mormon Church in particular has an outstanding database. I don't know why I got caught on that subject. You know, we were talking about the seventh generation, and you were talking about... Um, uh, heritage, and you were talking about uh, Native brethren. And when, when you when you arrive here, um, or, or when you're starting your activism, um, having a strong sense of family, strong sense of tradition, but not necessarily strong sense of Native spirituality. You mentioned a number of being Christian and Mormon. Um, and yeah, I know that the the, the LDS Church has a very uh, strong um, uh, um, like it initiative in 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 providing. The genealogy of all different types of people, um, and so uh, I'm, I'm familiar with that. I tend to I tend to be leery about how much I lend myself or lend my knowledge about my my family uh, to, to to somebody else telling me about that because just there's just been too much or there's been very much um, atrocities um, to trust the the inheritors of the the atrocity of 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 where I come from and additionally. So there's, that's one of the challenges, but um, I do appreciate that and I respect that. And for those who do find that I do, I appreciate and respect that as well. Um, but when we think about like uh, the seventh generation, um, so it sounds like what you're, what you're emphasizing is uh, to that, that, that um, to learn as much as one of one's heritage as possible as one continues um, within one's walk in this life. Um, is that a fair assessment? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm thinking now, it, it is important, and I'm thinking now that one of our goals with the Indian Center, especially with Russell Means when he first started the Indian Center, was to keep that culture, the language, spirituality alive. That was our goal. And I continued with that um, for, the, for their own identity. You know, and, and it, that's why we had a lot of programs that centered culturally around that. So we could, I remember when I used to take kids for outings and I'd, I'd have them in the bus and I'd, I would I would go down the road and ask them what nation they're from and, and ask them questions related to who their, what their nation was. And keep in mind, we had like 55 different nations in Cleveland at the time. Mm. We had a lot. And trying to understand and, and know about them and, and to ask questions to learn about them and then to hopefully teach these young adults to um, ask questions at home and learn about it. A lot of the parents that came up here 
did not speak their language because they wanted to be a part of the new life and they didn't want to speak the language anymore. So a lot of children never learned, which is pretty sad. Mm. Now, there's language courses that you can get on the internet or you can go to college and, and learn about them and, and you have to pay for it. It's still our language and now you have to pay to learn it unless mm. you're on a res and you can learn from the elders. Kind of interesting. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, that Sundance and I talk about is, is uh, uh, um, a heritage campus where uh, native learning is is uh, provided, um, and I mean, you and I have talked about a number of idea, ideas as well. And so that's that's one of the challenges that I have is that I'm an idea dude, and so uh, there are these fantastic ideas, but it's another thing to actually get it implemented. And so this is one of the things that that obviously a lot of uh, native nations identify as a priority, uh, particularly learning lang uh, native language, um, and so. Uh, there continues to be um, work and effort um, in providing those, that institutional um, uh, uh, structure and support to provide that education. Um, so, and, and meanwhile, I do it as I can as, uh, where I'm at with what I have. Uh, so, and I know young people are dealing with different things. Um, I think one of the things that's helpful, actually, as, as I'm sitting out here in the woods, um, is just to get connected with nature uh, and, and have, have like, when you talk about starting from scratch when, when it comes to a native, uh, a native youth learning about one's heritage, uh, I think being in nature is a very strong way to kind of um, spark that interest, um, and particularly in contrast to, like, the, uh, the tech and everything else. Tech is, is beneficial, but it's also uh, beneficial to have that balance of nature as well. And if when we connect the, the, the experience of our relationship with the plants and our relationship with the animals uh, to our relationship with our heritage, uh, that helps to give uh, youth a better sense of relevancy and, and uh, interest in learning what that native heritage is. And that's something that settler heritage, settler culture and tradition is unable to do because settler culture in and of itself intrinsically is unnatural it, it, it's it's a foreign phenomenon and so one of the ways it it it, 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 it like asserts itself is through de-emphasizing the connection with nature and placing the emphasis on other things uh the advantages of technology and additionally uh but not nature and so that's one of the things to consider when it comes to native uh heritage and, and native learning is that connection with nature uh, to bring it very immediate to, to, um, to youth. Well, I'm running out of time myself yeah. now. I appreciate that, Robbie. You've been very patient, and, and I appreciate I appreciate your, your insight, your information, your knowledge, and, and wisdom that you share. Um, so uh, I thank you for, for the for the convo today. And if there's any other topics you want to talk about, there's plenty out there. Please, please... Uh, well, let's try to limit it to about two hours, though. So. Yeah, I know. I know. We're way over, way over, over time. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks, okay. Robert. All right. Thank peace. you so much, Peter. Bye-bye. Right. All right. So, yeah. Anybody still here? I am. Uh, and I just finished the joint. So to be honest, actually, it's less uh, 
cringe than what I was anticipating. Um, it was long. Uh, some of it was further tedious and a little bit clumsy, but hey, there's a lot of beneficial information, insight, experience that is shared. Uh, and so appreciation again to Elder Brother Bob Roca uh, for the conversation. And uh, again, this is the part of the joint where we say, yo, food on the table, roof over the head, clothes on the back, and maybe even Wi-Fi in the air, something like that. But um, again, we still have yet to set up any uh, crowdfunding thing, and that that's somewhat on the, uh, on, on the back burner at the moment. Um, even um, uh, a merchandise joint. We do have uh, t-shirt uh, designs and uh, uh, mantras, but again, as I mentioned, I think before that because of the current circumstances, it seems less ethical to solicit people to spend money on, on uh, such items when there are additional priorities at the moment. So that's also on hiatus at the moment. Thus, meanwhile, say, hey, if you want to send some rice, beans, and bread on ourself, <laughs> what's up? Um, the uh, I'm intending to include the uh, address for such. Uh, we can do gift cards locally here in the Cuyahoga area as well as online. Uh, I mentioned a number of uh, ethical-based or ethics-based uh, companies that we work with in the past uh, and through today. Um, additional ones I'll mention are um, Thrive Market that shares a number of uh, fair trade uh, products um, and vegan products and also uh, Vitacost. Uh, those are two online retailers that provide uh, delivery to where we are situated here in the Northeast Ohio area. Um, I also share a list before uh, Level Ground, Charles Organic, Makabari Sumo Co-op, though that's UK based. I mentioned a number of before, a number before, and also there's a list on the website. Ah, the website, convowithzuriji.wordpress.com. There's additional information. Actually, there's a lot of information on that, and there's the intention of keeping an updated. Um, uh, of of each session, each episode, uh, I can also provide that we've got sp- features uh, arriving. Features being storytelling and songs, um, in poetry. Um, so I mentioned that we do the weekly um, uh, release of the uh, the convos on uh, Sunday day evenings, Sunday evenings. Uh, that's on a weekly basis, uh, and then uh, primarily on Upasada days, meaning the full moon and new moon of each month, uh, providing quote-unquote features, stories, storytelling, poetry, songs, things like that. Much of it initially is going to be me, yours truly, doing it dolo style. Uh, so I have actually a considerable num- amount of material um, that I already share through other uh, platforms. So um, the, the intention is to share some of that, including some original works, right? Original um, on particularly the Upasada days 
uh, and perhaps intermittently. Um, there's also standing invitations for additional brethren to share original works. Uh, we emphasize old stories and old songs, a century old thereby, half a century if you need be, um, but something that's increasingly timeless uh, and that's intergenerational. Uh, that helps us to strengthen our uh, our sense of self, our knowledge of self, um, and um, interaction with our with our uh, elders and our children in our community, uh, and adults and youth, and additionally. So, anyways, that's what we got going on. Um, that's much of it at the moment. And uh, that being said, thank you for those who made it this far to this point. Um, and, uh, I'm reminded of a, a, a humorous, uh, uh, anecdote, uh, where there's a, um, a YouTuber, um, that does a, a football, um, series football, meaning the foot and the ball the world sport of football. Uh, his name is Alfie and the channel is H I T C sevens. Um, so recently he does a, um, maybe a couple months ago, he does a, uh, a video about the top experiences, the top, uh, highlights of each national football team, all, all some 200, uh, football teams around the earth. And, and the video is like 200, two hours long, um, compared to the usual five minute joints that he puts on. So anyways, he lists every, uh, every nation alphabetically. And, um, I forget what the topic was specifically, but I fast forwarded it to the United States version of it just to see what he was saying for that. Uh, and he said, finally, we get to the United States. Now, obviously, you being being later in the alphabet, he says, and if you had if you just fast forward, if you Americans just fast forwarded, he's British. Uh, he says, if you Americans just fast forwarded it to this place, you're part of the worst of of the of beings on Earth or something like that. It was humorous. It was uh, sarcastic. That's his humor. It's very British. Uh, it's actually very self-deprecating as well, but it was very humorous because <laughs> he called cats out, right? Exactly what I was doing. Uh, that, anyways, I'll leave it at that. I think I have been enough um, in my clumsily articulation. It's late, so that's it. That's a wrap, and that's, I'm gonna keep this joint here. One love and peace. Namaste. Assalamualaikum. Shalom. Zaijin. Adios. Tejakuris. Esempina asamudwo. Kelegufred. One love and peace and liberation.